0: Hi, and welcome to NASIO Voices, where we talk all things state IT. I'm Amy Glasscock in Lexington, Kentucky.
1: And I'm Matt Pincus here in Washington, D.C. Today, we are thrilled to welcome back to the pod for the third time Eric Sweden, NASIO's Program Director of Enterprise Architecture and Governance.
0: Today, we'll be discussing with Eric a recently released NASIO publication called Making the Case for Insight-Enabling Analytics, the paper highlights the growing role of data analytics in state governments. Well, let's bring them on. Eric, welcome back to NASIO Voices, and thanks for joining us today.
2: And thank you for having me. I just love doing radio shows with both of you. You are absolutely great. So I'm very glad to be here.
1: Thank you, Eric. We appreciate having a wonderful cheerleader on the podcast. Well, let's get this interview off to the races and dive right into a brand new publication, I feel like you're always working on a publication or multiple ones at the same time. So, will you tell everyone what was the motivation behind writing this new publication? The policy team, I think, we're always considering the why when we write anything, yeah. and what was the why in this instance? Well, this whole idea of data management and
2: analytics, you know, it's high on our our top ten. In fact, it's been on the top ten for some time. It's now it's number six. It has been as high as number four. But analytics, data management, it affects all the other priorities. So I think we've been convinced for many years through internal conversations, conversations with our members, that there is a need for insight enabling analytics. So as stated in the 2020 annual state CIO survey, increasingly data management and analytics are playing a central role in decision making and service delivery for state governments with CIOs often taking the the lead. So analytics serves our state CIOs in many ways as outlined in that same survey. You know, we did a table that shows in which of the following areas does your state currently utilize data analytics? Mm-hmm. You know, it includes things like transparency, creating enhanced dashboards, data-driven policy making, So then you look at all the annual surveys themselves over the years, Matt. Look at the analytics embedded in those surveys. And you know that we pour over those surveys throughout the year, as well as our state CIO top 10 in developing our work plans for each program year. Yeah, of course. So we're using analytics to make sure we have line of sight traceability to the priorities of our members. So I reached out to uh, Kay Meyer, and we had done a series on analytics in past do you think or do you know and this is near and dear to my my heart as as well i just have analytics in my dna from past career experiences but i reached out to kay meyer at SAS. we discussed some ideas kay sent me some ideas i sent some ideas back we went back and forth with mike Leahy, jim weaver And, you know, we have so many issues facing state government. This report is a compelling message to think, do the necessary analysis, think about what we learn, surface objective insights, inform the decision-making process, all intended toward positive citizen outcomes. So as Doug states, taxpayer-oriented architecture, this is taxpayer-oriented analytic. We are lined up to serve the people who own government and pay for it.
1: So. Yeah, that's great. And really capturing, you know, a growing trend, as you said, among the states. So fantastic work. Can you talk a little bit about insight-enabling analytics?
2: So when we talk about insight-enabling analytics, that first word, insight, is very important. So analysis of data with some objective in mind and analysis of stakeholder perspectives to surface what we might call truths or as close as we can get to quote unquote what is you know separate fact from fiction, reality from opinion, substantiated reality with deliberate removal of bias, accounting for confounders what are the real cause effect relationships and what is the magnitude of those relationships? So what are the facts? If we have the facts, then we can make decisions that have some level of precision to them. So are they the correct decisions? So insight enabling, goes further to evaluate the outcomes with probabilities. What are the risks related to any path we choose? We'll be doing more with this in our discussion on enterprise risk management, fiscal economic resilience in future. So we're using methods, disciplines, processes, tools to examine data, look for patterns, cause-effect relationships, trends, And surface insights, ahas, you know, those uh, surprises possibly, with the intention of better and hopefully the right decisions.
0: Eric, can you talk a bit about how analytics can improve both citizen outcomes and government operations? I know that that was part of the publication as well.
2: Yes, it is. In fact, you know, that's what's prompting us to move forward uh, with this kind of project. So analytics, as we were stating, analytics should lead to insights so what are insights and what is insight enabling uh, analytics you know insights can and should be considered to be clear or deep understanding of an issue facing citizens government companies organizations you know looking at opportunities challenges that come from effectively analyzing the facts the data and the information so that deep understanding is what we're what we're after now those insights that deep understanding that feeds into decision making and who's ever making decisions uh, across government, you know, from the governor's office, the legislators, agency, program executives, citizens, you know, they should come with some measure of confidence. How confident are we in our analysis? How confident are we in our insights? So we can never be 100% positive on most issues, risks, opportunities. So we have to present how confident. We are about our conclusions from our analysis of data, information, ethnographics even. We also have to consider secondary tertiary effects of the actions that we're taking. What are the ripple effects? Actions taken to address one set of issues may actually create new and possibly even more challenging issues. So we have techniques for doing just that. So if we are following a relatively strict discipline, Amy, in collecting, managing, data and the quality of that data, then following a relatively strict discipline in analyzing that data, and we are following a fairly strict discipline in bringing that analysis and the insights into our decision-making process, we are doing everything possible to fulfill our job in serving our citizens in policy decisions that affect the lives of our citizens, the people paying the bill. So all that said, given the confidence aspect, Amy, we must also do a retrospective. So are we achieving the intended outcomes as necessary? And as we may discover, we'll, we may have to make course corrections because, in fact, the outcomes aren't happening as well as we had intended. So those course corrections then feed into the analysis process to make it better. In other words, learning, process improvement, process learning. So analytics should be an ongoing process, almost a fluid So we are essentially analyzing our analysis. How good was it? Let's make it better. If we have surfaced the facts, all the facts, then we will have defensible, justifiable conclusions. But even we test those conclusions through retrospectives with stakeholders and make necessary timely course corrections. If we're putting that kind of thinking into our decision-making in state government, we will be providing the best state government possible. And who benefits? our absolute ultimate stakeholder, the citizens of our states, territories, and that's what government is about.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So also in the paper, you discuss the different types of analysis. So tell our listeners, what are the different types of analysis? And can you briefly explain them?
2: Sure. So that's a great question. It's a highlight in this paper. So just in summary, I won't go through all the details, Amy, Mm -hmm. but reporting analysis, that allows government to report on what happened. So, what's currently happening? How much occurred? How did we perform? Operational analysis that enhances state government's understanding and our business decisions by continuous monitoring and reevaluation of data. This is a check on our business rules, evaluation of data patterns, alerts to changing dynamics, surfacing anomalies in the data. So, this helps to start the insights into why certain outcomes are, or are occurring. Predictive analysis, then, that helps us understand why things happened, what factors we may want to consider to change future results. So we're trying to determine what will happen next by analyzing the past and taking into account any new influencer or new vectors that weren't part of an earlier analysis. If we could predict with some accuracy... Again, confidence levels. What will happen, then we can prepare for it. So working together with predictive is prescriptive. What could happen? How could we influence the determining factors that actually affect a desired future? Another point we make in this paper is that we all need these capabilities in our analytics toolbox. Not any one of them is promoted as, as the
1: predominant one. They're all needed. So, Eric, can you talk about how those different types of analysis relate to the four forces that we've talked so much about in the past? And can you, can you just remind everyone what the four forces are?
2: Yes. So, the four forces are coming from a series of reports that we did. And, it, and the four forces were really highlighted in a graphic from Integra Supply. So, the four forces are political forces, And we detail what those are. I mean, we've got examples of what are political forces. Customer forces also have examples. Inertial forces, market forces. Those four forces are then impacting the government change framework. And then another part of that, Matt, is the change principles, such as decisions are made with the citizen in mind. Sustainable learning environments must be maintained that can adapt. Balancing enterprise and agency interests, effective use of taxpayer dollars. So those four forces, the change principles, those are all explained in previous reports. But see, as with anything, when we're talking about analytics, we're saying with whatever we do has to fit in the
1: context of these of these mm. four forces. Got it. it. That makes a lot of sense. And and just another follow-up question on that is almost a year, well, over a year and a half into the pandemic, do you think their state CIOs and and from what you've seen, state IT is paying more attention to those four forces than they have in the past? I mean, you talked about citizen experience and being fiscally conscious. I mean, have you seen an increase in those across the board, I guess, generally? I think we've highlighted the importance of them. And when I am
2: in conversations with our state CIOs, they are bringing up CIOs broker, the new CIO operating model, you know, they're bringing that up a lot. Mm. And so I know it's front of minds of, of our state CIOs as they're thinking about many things, uh, you know, all of the issues that they're dealing with. You know, we've made the point that the four forces, in fact, are affecting what are those top 10 that show up in our top 10 state CIO priorities. But the four forces also impact what data needs to be analyzed in any particular problem or opportunity. So we have to analyze reality or or as Doug states, interrogate reality in these spheres of politics, market, customer, inertial, to understand the full context of an issue, the full context of solutions. For instance, how will we spend these stimulus dollars with consideration for short-term, medium-term, long-term effects, We have to be able to apply judgment to how these dollars are spent with consideration for any attached obligations. So how do we fund any future operational costs related to investments we make today with those stimulus dollars? So the four forces must be taken into the algorithm for our decisions, Matt. Mm -hmm. Taking account of the four forces provides a sustainability and even a resilience in the action plans being taken. And by the way, these forces must include those change principles that are at the bottom of that four forces chart from Integra Supplied.
1: Well, that was a, uh, a really good lead into my, my next question, which is sort of encapsulating everything we've talked about previously, but what are some of the recommended actions from the publication? What are the takeaways?
2: There are a number of them. I'll cover a few. Sure. And for instance, we recommend uh, you must determine how the analytics function should be positioned to most effectively fulfill its intended function. So in past, we had uh, done, had discussions on this concept of business intelligence competency centers. And there's a great book out from SAS that speaks about how do you put together a BIC or a business intelligence competency center. That could be part of it is putting together a, a discipline, investing in it, bringing in the right folks that are interested in analytics being able to market the capabilities. Uh, Another recommendation we have is focus on two important goals for acting on the results of any insights. First, the best answer wins. Try to remove, as much as possible, remove any personal bias. Secondly, think citizen first. This keeps our primary objective in front of us, citizen outcomes. And then finally, for all of those recommendations, Matt, we did have some essentially overreaching recommendations So we say review analytics with meaningful metrics, and those metrics may change over time. So you need to judge the effectiveness of capabilities and include all stakeholders. You need to apply effective analytics in evaluating and managing the state information technology investment and determine using those analytics where to cut, where to invest, and then finally apply effective analytics, modeling techniques to support decision-making regarding funding, such as funding to states under the American Rescue Plan Act of 2021.
0: Well, Eric, thank you for that overview. All right. So that report came out last week. Folks can find it on NACIO's website at NACIO.org on our resource center button there. So it should be at the top of the list as it's one of our newest publications. Um, Eric, before we let you go, as you are well aware, we always like to take a few minutes at the end of an interview to talk about life outside of work in a segment we call The Lightning Round. Are you ready to do Lightning Round again? I am. Great. All right. Question one. Eric, you have worked from home for many years, something like 16 or 17 years or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yep. uh, one of the first uh, employees to work remotely, NASIO, the first. As someone who was already working from home when the pandemic started, has anything been different for you with the rest of your colleagues and many of your contacts also working from home?
2: That's a great question. And of course, we're all thinking about that these days. For me, I've been at uh, this kind of a work situation for some time. So probably I have not seen the changes that you might hear from others. So for me, not very much has changed regarding everyday work. Mm -hmm. What has changed is my team, you know, folks like you and Matt. And uh, how are they working coping uh, with this change and it affects me because I care about the people I work with. So back in the day earlier in my career here at NASIO and AMR management services, Doug and I would do conference calls. So it was Mm -hmm. a telephone call. We didn't see each other. Well, with virtual platforms, there's a real improvement because we see each other. So there's some real positives. I still meet with people locally for lunch meetings. Although now that people are accustomed to remote virtual meetings, We sometimes still use virtual meetings because it's so easy to bring up slides, websites, Mm. reports, similar to what we do on our committee calls. Whereas in person, I I have to turn my laptop around and present a slide or report. Of course, they can't read it because it's so small. (laughs) So it's actually much easier to work together on documents uh, using virtual meetings, much the way you and I, Amy, worked on our report on business relationship management. Right. You know, you and I could look up things together, navigate, pull in other resources, you know, consider things, make changes, approve them immediately. Yeah, I like that. No, I don't like that. You know, that kind of thing. So now others are seeing how productive we can be. We yeah. don't need to travel as much as we used to. Mm-hmm. What's missing are those face to face interactions. So I still have face-to-face lunch meetings just because we like to see each other. We have discussions. The conferences are different. Certainly, we all miss the face-to-face interactions. However, with Emily's leadership, we've been introduced to some new channels that are actually opening up some new kinds of experiences, like the deep dives. I mean, those are really very valuable. So some things from all this past year are good, uh, you know, and we will have, I think, a sustaining effect going forward because we see the utility of them. So, you know, that's yeah. that's a little bit on my perspective, Amy.
0: Yeah. I would say too, from the perspective of someone that runs some of our policy committees, you know, when we were in the office, everybody just Called in and also joined a webinar just to look at slides, but now it's just a full blown Zoom meeting mm-hmm. where everybody's, all you know, has not. the option at least to turn their camera on. And that's, I think, here to stay. So that's yeah. been interesting.
1: Yeah. I, I don't know about you guys, but I am very appreciative of the occasional conference call these days. Yeah. You know, <laughs> walk the dog and take a conference call and yeah. not be sitting in front of the computer. Right. Uh, yeah. but, you're, it's true. but you're absolutely right. Every Everything, you know, all these technology platforms have enabled us. To actually be so connected, you know, we haven't seen each other, in, geez, almost two years. Um, yeah. So, but, but I. But we
2: stay connected, Matt. I mean, agreed. we we call each other whenever we want to. Exactly. And actually, yeah. I find myself we're calling each other. Well, with some of our uh, co-chairs, you know, we're, we we have we're having conversations on the weekend or evenings. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're maybe we've expanded the the work day to be twenty four hours, seven days a week. I don't know.
0: for better work there. Agree with that, yeah. Okay, I'm going to go to another question now. What is a food other than barbecue that Kansas is known for?
2: That is a hard question. I actually had to go look, you know, are we known for anything here in Kansas? And quite honestly, Amy, I could not find anything. So I made something up. Okay. Mm. Uh, I will say fudge, but back in my years in Michigan, fudge was a big thing back there. (laughs) So then I, I continued to look. I found something about, Pan-fried chicken. Okay. Is it? I don't know. Uh, Here's another thing. We have our farmer's markets, but you have those in Lexington, right? Yep. So, in the end, I have to say... What's really unique here? Not sure there really is any difference in what you can get here versus Lexington. Okay. Maybe there's more options for bourbon. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> yes. I'm sorry. I don't have a good answer for you.
0: Okay. Well, that is kind of why I asked because I couldn't think of anything. So, hmm. All right. And then final question. We know music is a big part of your life. What is your favorite genre of music to play and your favorite music to listen to?
2: You know, I work on a lot of different kinds of things. I have a rather eclectic view of music. I don't limit anything. So I play classical, but I'll play some country and blues depending on my mood, you know, and sometimes I'll play along with a recording. And then in terms of music I listen to, not in any priority because I like so many different things. I like classical music. I like Some country music. I like some pop music. So I could listen to Rachmaninoff or Handel or Chopin or Father Haydn or uh, even a good clarinet player like Peter Fountain, Hacker violin. Mark O'Connor is a favorite of mine. I listen to orchestras. Julie Andrews is a favorite singer of mine. The Haven Quartet, Gaither Vocal Band. Certainly Chet Atkins. You know, I have so much influence from him. But the things I listen to are so out there. I mean, there's no limit. So I don't have a favorite. I would have to say I like so many different kinds of music. And it depends on, I guess, my mood.
0: Okay. Well, uh, we've had a chance to actually hear you play a little bit during this time of greater video conferencing and uh it's been and our mid-year cool yeah and our the mid-year. highlight of mid-year would you be willing to play a little something for us
2: i would yeah i'll, I'll play a little tune all right
0: Eric. that was amazing thank oh, you was it?
1: <laughs> blow us away every time
0: yes beautiful. you are
1: very very nice well, <laughs> it's not often you get to work with genius so yeah th- 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 i don't Eric. know why yeah. you
0: work at nasio when yeah. you could just be um making money doing that so
1: well thank you. but we're glad you are yes um and well, i am too Eric, thank you, as always, for joining us. This is your third time on the podcast, and every time we just really, really appreciate getting to spend time with you and, and hope to see you uh, in a few weeks. Well, Hi. I have a blast talking with you too. It's just so much fun working with
2: you too. Thank you very much.
0: Thanks, Eric. Thanks again for listening. NASIO Voices is a production of the National Association of State Chief Information Officers, or NASIO. We'll include a link for the publication in the show notes, and you can also find it on our website.
1: Registration for our annual conference in Seattle, Washington is still open. You can find all the information and answers to your frequently asked questions on our website. We'll be back in our next episode with a preview of the annual conference with NACIO's own Emily Lean. Thanks again, and we'll talk soon. Bye-bye. Bye.